0: Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we attempt to get out of the way and let the Bible speak, revealing the person and presence of King Jesus today. Father, we love to worship your name. We love to praise your name. And Lord, we're convinced that when we put you in that center place of worship in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church, that everything orients and falls into place. When we seek your face first, that you cause everything else to fall into alignment with your goodness, with your grace, with your purpose. Father, we praise you for the hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, let's clap that out again. Man, that was good. That was fun. I love to worship the Lord. Missy and Daniel, thank you for contending for that worship. So good. Um, There's something powerful that happens when a group of people come together expectant, uh, not necessarily even to get something from church, but to enter in into one voice and almost like a crescendo moment where we come together to actually praise Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's actually a different way of thinking about church. Church is, uh, for those who are out there and who aren't part of it, absolutely, but church is also a group of believers who are coming together. Daniel actually said it beautifully. Could have been the whole sermon right there. But he said, you know, we come together and it's this overflow that happens on Sunday morning of individuals um, who have this spiritual fervor and hunger for the Lord. So what's amazing is it's not the energy of the drums or the bass guitar. We'll have one of those one day, I would assume, but it's the energy that's happening Inside of us, because Jesus is in us, and we're all raising our voices together. You know what I'm saying? That changes a room. That changes the human heart. That begins to uh, form us. And if we are committed to anything, it is this um, authentic, even gritty sort of Jesus journey, seeing Jesus formed inside of each of us, which does happen on Sunday morning, but it also happens Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, right? All week long. All right. Good enough. Praise Jesus. Okay, I'm supposed to say something and I have no idea what. Oh. Uh, Ukraine. Yes, Old River Farms, a really neat family out in, um, I think it's, it's towards um, but they took um, their farm and they were moved and burdened for the Ukrainian people, didn't know how to get involved, didn't know how to help, didn't think they could do anything, um, and so they took a few acres, tilled it all up, planted sunflowers, um, and sunflowers brought all sorts of people that wanted to see them and cut them, and photographers that wanted to Take pictures of them, and so everything that they collected financially, um, they have volunteered their time, volunteered their farm, volunteered the sunflower seeds, volunteered their tractors, and everything else, and they've raised about seven thousand, I think, twelve dollars. And Abby and I happened to be out there. Abby uh, saw it and was like, oh, we got to go. So we went. Um, I drugged my feet a little bit. I was grumpy, just telling you the truth. But I got there and was so moved by what these people were doing. There's no overhead. There's no salaries given out of it. It's 100% directly to some Ukrainians who are in the Carolinas um, and then some Ukrainian families that are still in Ukraine. They raised $7,012. We've so far raised 1200 I'd love to see us get behind that and just give beyond ourselves to bless and impact some people. Um, So it's Ukrainian families who are here and it's some Ukrainian families actually in Ukraine, yeah? If you wanna give today, uh, this is the last Sunday, give in the box out there, give online, earmark it Ukraine, and we will make sure 100% of it gets right to uh, this organization through Old River uh, Farms. Old River Farms NC, I think is the Instagram handle if you wanna look it up. Okay, good? amen all right um, I am in John 14 um, we are what we attempt to do is open the scripture we attempt to dig through it we attempt to look at it through the way perhaps a Palestinian man or woman or young person might look at it and then uh, we allow the Lord Jesus to sift our hearts with it um, the New Testament Paul actually says that we're like a lump of clay and he is the potter um, and I'm convinced that the most um, most amazing supernatural thing God can do is is transform the human heart. I'm just convinced. And, and uh, so we believe that we are called to be in the word, knowing this God, knowing this um, Jesus, and that letting him form and shape and form himself inside each of us as believers. Yeah? Okay. So John 14. Um, <clears throat> now let's just do a quick like recap so that as we go into this, you, you kind of remember what's happening. If you were here last week, you, you may remember. But Jesus is in the upper room. This is kind of like his final conversations with the disciples. Um, I was trying to think, how can I even like, how do, how do you even like encapsulate all this? He's telling them that he's getting ready to go to a cross and die. He's telling them that, um, that many of them are actually going to abandon him. The last thing he said in chapter 13 is Peter's like, I'll follow you to death. And Jesus turns around and looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. Like it's a heavy like moment. So these guys are, and then Judas has just gone out and they don't understand what happened with Judas. So there's confusion in the room. There's some frustration in the room. Their hearts are probably a little bit troubled. And I was even thinking, um, how is, what would this conversation have been like? And the only thing that I could even um, think about was when I was a freshman uh, at UNCW, I took a class um, with the head men's basketball coach, Jerry Wainwright. Anybody remember him? Like one person. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am 41, yes. I just dated myself. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but I had this uh, class with Jerry Wainwright, and it was just like, I thought it was just going to be kind of a silly class or whatever. And I was just trying to get two hours for nothing, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'd go in there every day, and I'd, it was like 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'd often surf before, so I'd come in with sandy feet, and he thought I was a bum. And it was the best class because what he actually began to do is dig into, a lot of the basketball players took it, and he's always like digging into who these guys were and then he's calling them up to be something more and greater. And I was amazed. It was one of my favorite classes in all my time at UNCWs because I watched this like gruff, grumpy, like probably throw the water cooler kind of guy. I mean, really, he was like, And yet he was so, there was this thing that came out of him in this like back locker room sort of setting. And I, I began to even think of, what could Jesus have been like in these final moments? Because you've got a young group of disciples, 16 to probably 22 years old. They're, they're um, I don't mean this offensively because I thought when I was like 19, I knew it all, you know. But they're young. They're like kids. They're like, well, who, what, this They are are getting ready to be commissioned with the weight of carrying Jesus and changing the known world. 16 to 22. All of heaven is championing these young guys and the disciples that gathered around them. Jesus had female disciples too. We'll talk about that another time. But all the disciples that had gathered around Jesus, there was 12, and there were 70, and there was 500. And all of heaven is championing this group of people to go out and transform the world as we know it. And in some short few hundred years, Rome, the great empire of Rome, actually became Christian. So what am I telling you? These young guys were effective So Jesus is in this moment where all of their faith is going to be tested, all of their um, resolve is going to be tested, what they believe about him is going to be tested. They they could be in this spot where they're in such a crisis of faith um, that they actually abandon him and walk away. I think every single one of them was at risk of abandoning the faith and walking away because of the difficulty about what they were going to go through. So, Let's open up and read this first um, passage. Jesus is reclining at this same U table. Judas has gone out. The 12 disciples are sitting around. This is like this tender, intimate, almost like locker room, final moments. Here we go. This is the hardest thing you're ever going to go through. And this is this Jesus, and he starts out in chapter 14, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You get this like, idea of this tender, compassionate, like he's not even focused on this moment about all the suffering and all the pain he's about to endure, and the weight of even being separated from Yahweh God for a, a few moments in time because of taking on the weight of my sin and your sin, right? He's focused on what? Yeah, these 11 guys, how are they doing? So he's looking at them in this moment of crisis. You know, Peter, the one who probably almost all of these guys look at and think, oh, Peter's the best. He, I mean, Peter got out of the boat and nobody else was doing that. Peter was the one who jumped up when nobody else would. And he's like, hey, how about this? Let's go this way. He was this like, he was courageous, he was fiery. I mean, he was like in it, he was on it, he believed in Jesus. And so when Jesus sends Judas out like he did and then turns to Peter in front of everybody and says, you're going to betray me before the rooster crows. I mean, everybody's knocked back on their heels. So you get this beautiful like combination in Jesus of I am going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then in the same moment, I'm going to pull you in and say, hey guys, this is going to be hard. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Some of you need to hear that this morning. I don't know what you're in the midst of. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but you need to hear that Jesus, this God, this gracious, kind, loving, heavenly Father would pull you in and would say to you, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you sometimes i struggle with the amount of things jesus packs into verses i'm like there is so much here there's i mean we're just going to read like 14 verses if we get through it today but there is so much here so h- here's what i want to uh, try to do is um, I, I want to try to touch into practical theology, which is like a seminary word or a Bible word or a church word that just means let's take the Bible and let's take uh, our best understanding of who the person of Jesus was, and then let's apply that to me and you and us. So let's make our theology, what we believe in the Bible, um, practical. Okay, so we're, we're going to ta- touch here um, on the theology of relationship, Trusting God, what in the world does that mean? We're gonna to touch then, he, he goes right into heaven, like he's into the theology of relationship, trust me. That means so much. Then he goes into um, heaven. My father's house has plenty of rooms. The King James says plenty of mansions. Interesting, we'll talk about that. We're gonna talk about uh, Jesus um, as the theology of the way that he says in just a minute, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and then if we have time, we're gonna talk about two more things, okay? Here we go. All right. Okay. All right, so the first thing I want to open is Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to, to um, paint something here, but as we've journeyed through John, we've said again and again and again that Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for who? The Pharisees. Okay and then it seems that people are living in who are living in all manner of abject sin and craziness he's actually uh, almost always kind and gentle and calls them to him right so we see this like dichotomy sort of forming between how he treats these people that spend a lot of time like reading their Old Testament and giving their money and volunteering their time and doing everything right. And then he, he um, welcomes people who seem caught in the worst sins. So I wanna, I wanna address this dichotomy for just a minute because I think there's something that unfolds in this concept of trust in God and trust also in me. And here's the way I want you to think about it. The Pharisees labor under duty the disciples labor under delight. This is worth pondering. Okay? Because I think what Jesus consistently is addressing in the Pharisees is what they're driving people towards is to um, dutifully work harder to earn salvation, whereas what Jesus is calling people to is to surrender it all, acknowledge you can't, lay it all down before him, and let him accomplish what only he can do. So you get this like immediate like cross in the road or fork in the road where you have the, the journey of duty, Pharisees' journey of delight, which is... Uh, those of us who are going to walk with him in authentic and genuine humble ways, okay? So let's keep going. So you you actually see this thought. I could take you all the way back to Genesis, and it's good um, to eat of the tree of, uh, excuse me, the tree of life, delight, versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Did the Pharisees have knowledge Yes, but what they didn't have was the delight of relationship. God created Adam and Eve and then he would come out of heaven, whatever that looked like, and he would roll or he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. It's relationship, you see the difference? So you have, a, you have this dichotomy that Jesus is setting up where people are performing for uh, cleaning themselves up, trying to earn their way to God, or you have people who are trusting in, you follow me? Now, let me open this a minute, and then we're going to try to flip it back around. The other day, um, I was at a store, um, big big store here in town. I go to it a lot. I'm not going to tell you which one. Uh, <laughs> I, it, anyway, it's to protect uh, the person in the story. Um, but there is a um, young lady, I don't know, maybe 25-ish, um, that works at this store. And, and I, when I go, um, they always check me out. And I've probably seen her for four or five years. So I, she may have started at 18, 19, I don't, I don't really know. But she was one of those people that when I'm checking them out, I look at people's name tags and I'll just remember their names. So I've just remembered her name over all these years. And anytime I go in, I go, hey, so-and-so, good to see you. And she was uh, checking me out and I was kind of, I was in a hurry. It was, a, I do one full day of landscaping a week. And so my, my mind was harried, you know? And when your mind's harried, how well do you do interacting with people? At least that's m- my world. Um, so I'm checking out, and she looks at me, and she says, you know, there's a whole line behind us. And I'm, so I'm uncomfortable already, right, because there's people behind us. She's like, you know, I remember I met you five years ago. And, she, and I've never this is what she said. I've never seen anybody who was so happy and joy-filled. Now, where am I at this moment? Not happy, not joy-filled, slightly harried. got 17 things on my mind. I've got four people at church to call back. I've got two landscaping jobs to bid. We've got to change Amelia's site. You get it? So what's on my face? The presence of Jesus is exuding... Jesus loves you and so do I. Let me pause and pray for you because I am walking in the fullness of the spirit at this moment. I mean, I'm floored. I'm like, I met you five years ago and I've never seen anybody who was, I got my landscaping hat on. She doesn't know I'm a pastor. She doesn't even know I'm a Christian. She's not a Christian. And I'm like, so I left. And that night I woke up in the middle of the night and I started thinking, now go back to Pharisees labor under Duty, disciples labor under delight, okay? And I started thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, I have chosen the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge and good and evil. I've chosen to live my life out of delight, uh, not out of performance and duty. But what happens is as we get on down the journey of life, stuff like begins to weigh on us, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, at least I find myself, tiptoeing inadvertently back to... You got to hear this and I'm, I'm, I'm making it, I'm intentionally making it funny and light because like it's this serious sober thing. Christians get in the Jesus journey and we're in it and we're rolling and things are great and we're delighting in him and I can't believe this grace and I love grace and Jesus saved me and we're so happy and we're excited. And if we're not careful, stuff begins to kind of like, I don't know if it weighs on us or if we, we uh, perhaps we inadvertently or, or intentionally even sin and we think, well, I got to cover that up because I'm this high, holy, bald guy that stands on a stage. So we tiptoe back over to duty. And what do we do? We start to perform. We start to act right and talk right and say the right stuff. But where's our heart? Getting harder by the moment. And I found myself in the middle of the night, that night, going, Lord Jesus, I have slipped Inadvertently and unintentionally into laboring under duty and performance. And I have not, I am not in this moment, in this day, in this season, living in the wholeness of your spirit out of delight and abundance and overflow. So what's funny is as a pastor, like I have this easiest job in the world when I'm full of the spirit. When I'm not full of the spirit, this is a horrible job because you got to get up front and act like you are. Oh, it's terrifying. Makes me do this. I go, Oh Jesus, please help me. Please, please, please help me. And can this be out of an overflow of abundant relationship with you? and can people who walk in this door or tune in online or listen in arrears on a podcast, can they sense and taste the freedom of Jesus, the delight of Jesus, an authentic relationship with Jesus? Because when Jesus is sitting around with 11 uh, 16 to 22 year olds and they are scared to death, he looks at them and he says, Number one, don't let your hearts be troubled." and number two trust in me let me become your jesus walk with me trust in god trust in me also and you get this idea that we're not working for our salvation right we're walking with him and he's accomplishing salvation in us and we live out of this overflow you you, you hear me But it is so easy and I wanna remind us even as Christians because I think a lot of times Christians, we start here and if you're like, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know this Jesus. You're just hanging out here. Just hang on with us. This is like a family message this morning, okay? But if you've been in the church, the risk is that you can become a cog in the church wheel. You can become a worker bee. You can do the right stuff and if you're not careful, your heart can begin to grow hard. And suddenly the checkout girl says, I've never seen anybody who was so, she used the word joy. I'm like, that is a Bible word. How did you know that? (laughs) Nobody uses that word joy. You don't get up in the morning in America and say, I'm joyful. That's a Bible word. I'm like, you saw Jesus. But I'm at risk, and I think all of us who walk with him are at risk of letting that Jesus drain out of us because we slip into duty and performance and all the stuff that we do. And let me tell you, humans, we like to live here because there's rules and there's a road map and it makes more sense in our brain. It's really hard to live over here because you're like, I just sit, I just wait, I just rest i just let you god do it in me and i don't have to go like you hear me like it's really hard to actually um, stay in this spot because it requires surrender and it actually requires humility this over here breeds a lot of pride oh i'm doing it right watch me on my six foot stage you hear me that's why pastors fall because they get up here and they're doing great, they started right, and then all of a sudden something goes on in their private life and they think, oh, I better hide it because they're gonna think I'm a fake. So I move into duty and performance and working harder and not resting in Jesus and not walking with Jesus and suddenly I'm lulled away into this world of duty and Pharisaism, if we could say that. Now, let me also speak to us as a church. This is another little family meeting kind of thing If you've been in another church and you've gotten disappointed or hurt or frustrated, there is an appropriate stepping back. There's an appropriate deconstruction. There's an appropriate uh, uh, walking through some forgiveness and letting go. But at some point, the risk is, and I see Christians all over the place who slip into this thing where they've got the right answer, they recognize where the church or churches have been wrong, but instead of engaging and actively forgiving through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit and trusting people again and trusting authority again and trusting church again, and then moving back into the spot of living out of delight and overflow of relationship and abundance with Jesus, they slip silently over here, but the problem is they're saying all the right words. You hear me? I'm not just pointing at you. That's why I told my story. You hear me? We're all at risk in this journey of slipping out of this delight and abundance and relationship. If you're here and you're going, oh, that's just semantics, I want to tell you, it is not. It is not. Because if you can live from this space... All of a sudden, everything's about eternity. Everything's about the kingdom of God. The kids are crying. Somebody's sick. This is happening. We don't have enough money to pay for this bill. Fill in the blank, right? And you begin to rest. You Jesus, what did he say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. We could say this a couple other ways. You can be religious or you can be relational. You can be a servant. You could be a son or a daughter. I'm not saying in Jesus we're all servants, but live from this place of delight and relationship and daughtership and sonship. And out of that overflow, the joy and the peace. And you can probably, if you were honest with me and we like went around the room, you could probably count on like one hand, maybe two, the people who are genuinely joy-filled in your life genuinely hope-filled, genuinely peace-filled. Like, how many people do you look into their eyes and you're like, that's peace? What do you usually see? Turmoil, harried, frustration, shame, disappointed with myself. Oh, great, I'm a failure. One more day, I'm insecure, right? And some people polish that up and cover it up with I'm doing great, but under that, they don't usually believe it. Okay, okay. Don't be troubled, live from delight. And then Jesus switches gears and I'm like, oh my goodness, Jesus, how much are you gonna pack in here? Verse two, my father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So where's he going? Heaven, the disciples are wrestling to get this, okay. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So he's gonna come back from where? Heaven, and He's going to take you, say me, to be where I am. So, where are you going? Heaven with Jesus. Okay, verse four. You know the way to the place where I am going. All right. So, there's two. I think if we if we engage in a theology of heaven here for just a minute. Um, couple thoughts. Uh, House here, if we looked at the Latin Vulgate translation, which was the first one coming out of the original languages, the Latin for house is manso, which in English gives us the word mansions, and the King James Version actually uses that. Instead of rooms, it says mansions. That's debatable. There's a couple different ways you could look at it. But I think what is not debatable is Jesus is beginning to say something. He's beginning to say two things. And I'd say if if I boiled the theology of heaven down very simply, it would be this. Number one, Jesus wants um, to live in you. Now, where Jesus is, is heaven. Can we say that? Okay. Wherever Jesus is, is heaven. Heaven, so heaven is a relationship. It's obviously a place, but it's a place because it's a place that uh, exists because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect community and relationship, and as we cross over um, death, we enter into eternal life. and and we experience that relationship. So Jesus, number one, is saying, I'm going to take you with me as you cross over from life into death. I'm going to take, if you're in Jesus and I'm in you, I'm going to take you with me into heaven for eternity. JP, do me a favor. My bag is in front of you and there's a shirt on the side pocket. Really, I'm serious. There's a shirt on the side pocket. Yep, pull it out and throw it up here to me. Thank you. Yep, real quick. Great throw. So... I lost, this is important because you're going to get something here. I lost a dear friend um, like a year and a half ago. His name was Chris Brittingham. And I got to do his uh, memorial. Um, Amazing, amazing young man. He was, uh, when I first started as a youth pastor, he was one of my, um, he was one of the guys in my youth group and he really had this like decisive Jesus decision and he like walked with Jesus powerfully and um, his his family is actually, uh, attends church here. I don't know if they're here on this morning, but. Um, I won't look at him lest I cry anyway. Um, but when he passed away, uh, his brother uh, uh, started a foundation, and the slogan they used, his name was Chris Brittingham, and he was a Navy SEAL. We all called him Brit, but was, uh, Brit lives on. Now, at first glance, um, people get really funny about this, and people who aren't Jesus people get all kind of weird because they're like, the person lives on, and you can feel them and so Dig a little deeper here. Christians don't die. We transfer a location. Do you hear me? Now, does Chris Brittingham live on here so that Michael can talk to him? Absolutely not. Don't ever go down that weirdness. Does Chris Brittingham live on in the presence of Jesus? When Michael dies, will I be uh, reunited with Chris Brittingham? So theologically, when they say Brit lives on, it's actually accurate. Christians do not die. We transfer the location of our current residence. Uh, Interesting, I want to actually read this because it's a quote. Um, D.L. Moody actually said, the famous evangelist in the 1800s, he said, someday you will read or hear that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone on in the presence of God. Another great man by the name of Billy Graham used it at the end of his race. I don't think anybody knew it came from Moody, but Moody said it first, Billy Graham said it second, but I want you to get something. Jesus is saying, don't be troubled here on earth because I'm actually gonna come and live inside of you and one of my goals as the king of the universe and the creator of heaven and earth is actually to get heaven inside of, say me, that's the goal is to actually get heaven the peace of Christ. What did that lady at the checkout see in Michael? Was it my shiny bald head? Was it my smile? no she actually encountered a little bit of christ jesus because she said you are the most joy-filled person i've ever seen that's a little bit of heaven where Now, that is the thing that we can actually inject into our marriages, our parenting, our roommates, our life situations, any place you are, no matter how difficult and painful the situation is, if you will learn to surrender it to the Lord Jesus and trust in Him. How do you trust? How do you have faith? Surrender it and go, Lord Jesus, I can't work up the faith. I can't work up the trust. Would you plant trust inside of me? Would you plant faith inside of me? And then you stand up in the middle of your terrible situation and you begin to let the Lord Jesus overflow. And suddenly, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, the hope of Christ begins to be present. You don't have to say the right words. Be in the right spot with him and let him rise up and flow out of you no matter how terrible your situation is. God can access and utilize you in that situation. Okay. Our home is in heaven. We're just traveling through this world. Has God gone to prepare a place for us? Yeah, so the theology of heaven in two points. Number one, Jesus actually wants heaven in me if jesus is in you where's heaven in you number two jesus wants you to cross over from human death into eternal life heaven We actually, as Christians, shouldn't fear death. And I think most of us, me included, have this like warped backwards way of looking at death and even life because we we tend to think in this finite, like the American male is supposed to live 80 years in, in America. And we think that's it. That is not it. That just scratches the surface. All this is training actually for eternity. Like everything. So every trial in your current life Everybody say every trial. Every Every difficulty difficulty. is all training and shaping, not just for heaven to be inside of you now, but to prepare you to co-rule and co-reign with him in eternity. So when you begin to even see something, that's how, like when James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Like, what? Why would I consider anything joyful about facing a difficulty? But when you step into this kingdom mindset that this life is not about my job or my tennis shoes or my car or my marriage or my work or my salary or blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. This job is actually about, uh, this life, excuse me, is about shaping Jesus or heaven inside of you now and preparing you to co-rule and co-reign with him in eternity. To go live in the mansion or the room or the whatever it is he's set for us in that eternal place. You follow me? This is how you inject Jesus into your personal relationships now. Now, just let me say, are you gonna fail? Yes. yes. And that's why I'm always up here going, you just get on your knees. It's really simple. You go, Lord Jesus, you can stand up in the line at the grocery store. You don't have to get on your knees. Just Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you help me again, live from delight, live from relationship? Would you help me access the kingdom and the presence of God in my life, heaven, right now, not just in eternity? Don't be troubled. Know God has a purpose and a place for you in the here and now and in eternity. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse, we read verse three and four. Verse five, Thomas said to him, I love Thomas here. Um, Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is so literal, um, and he's always kind of fussing with Jesus because he doesn't understand. But what I love about Thomas is he's actually willing to say, if you live from a place of performance and duty, you always have to act like what? You, You get that? So what Thomas is actually willing to do is this humility thing of going, I wanna follow you but I don't know how. So when I read that, I'm not immediately criticizing Thomas I'm looking at him going, man, he is courageous enough to know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to know what I'm doing. Would you please help me, Jesus? If there's a posture that I could call us as a church to, it would be this humble to learn, humble to grow, own your failures and mistakes before him so that you can hand them to Jesus on the cross, and then you walk free into relationship, into overflow. Does that make sense? That's the essence of the Christian life. It's not perfection, because the moment you begin to put perfection on yourself, your spouse, your kids, what are you raising? Little Pharisees. You're driving yourself to be one. You're driving a spouse to be one. You're driving roommates to be one. you got to get that. Like, it's heavy because not only every one of us as humans, the way you know God, be it out of delight or be it out of duty, is what you will reproduce in every single person around you. So Thomas here is actually betraying to me that he is refusing to go to the camp of the Pharisees and pretend to know it all, and he's going to step over here in this humble to learn posture, humble to grow. Jesus, show us. Okay. Jesus answered. Jesus answered. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, let me explain this this way, and then we're going to keep rolling, but I think it's a powerful analogy. Uh, with our older two kids, I used to coach, um, and Abby helped me all the time, but we used to coach uh, U10 soccer at the YMCA. Anybody ever seen that happen? A couple people? Okay, here's my favorite part about U10 soccer at the Y. They have no idea what they're doing. None. We're running the wrong way. We're kicking in the wrong goal. We don't pass. We pick up the ball with our hands and run it like we're playing rugby or something. Like, it's an absolute raging disaster. But my favorite part about it is, as a coach, when you're in the U10 division, you are allowed to get out there, and you can actually run next to the kids. So I'm like running um, and I would get out there and wh- whichever one of our, our um, you know, players had the ball, I could actually run with them and go, I can't touch it. But I can go, hey, go this way. Nope, your goal's over here. Let's go that way. Come on, give it a kick, pass it to so-and-so. And so you, you get this idea that Jesus is um, alongside uh, with. And so what Jesus says here when he goes, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Notice he didn't say I've given you a road map, follow it. Now go there just a second and then we're going to come back to my coaching example. If you had a road map, what would you do? Probably, but if you if you were good at reading a map, you'd just what? Follow the map. So you're 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 following an actual map. But Jesus says, I am the way. So what's he saying? He's saying, follow me. This is like if we were uh, trying to get directions to Wayne's house, and Wayne said, here's a Google map. Great, I'm gonna follow the? But if Wayne says, follow me, Wayne's like riding shotgun in my car. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm, I'm following behind Wayne, and he is actually taking me on the journey. But regardless, Wayne is with me. He is part of the journey with me. So when Jesus says, I gave you a map, hope you don't get lost, No, 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 Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I will show you the way day by day, step by step, turn by turn, moment by moment, I am with you. Like this is so powerful. This isn't the angry, distant God and Father who's pulled way away. No, 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 this is the God who is actually journeying with you. Don't be troubled, walk with me. That's what he's saying again. Let's keep going. Philip pipes up, verse eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. This is a little painful, I think, this response from Jesus in verse nine. Jesus answered, don't you know me? So he's been rolling with Philip for three years. Don't you know me? Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Like, I hear pain in Jesus' voice here. It's like everything I've been doing to show you who I am for the last three years, and you've slipped from this place of delight into this place of, it's like Michael at the checkout counter. You hear me? It's like, Philip, how are you missing me? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father. You see how many times he repeats this? I am in the Father, and where's the Father? And where's Jesus related to us? You see, this is where like massive Christian theology comes out of this right here. So Jesus is in the Father. The Father's in Jesus, Jesus, when I surrender my life to him, is now in me, say me. So who's in you? God, the creator of the universe. This is That's again, you're back to this idea that heaven is being pulled from eternity and now it lives inside of you. So you get this theology of Christ in us being the hope of glory. I, I just want to touch on this quickly. But when Jesus was introduced um, in Matthew 1.23, if you want to make a side note, um, or when the angels introduced him also in Matthew and in Luke, they're quoting Isaiah 7.14 and Isaiah 8.8, 8, and they actually call God this funny name by the name of anybody know? Emmanuel. Lily knew. Emmanuel. And what's Emmanuel mean? Here's a map, hope you don't get lost, hope you make it home at the end of the journey. No, 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 Emmanuel is God. Soccer field, come on, Michael, you can do it. No, don't give up, Michael. The goal's this way, Michael. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, come on, Michael. It's back this way. You, got, you lost your joy and you lost your hope and you got angry at whatever and you lost your patience. Come on, back this way, Michael. Come on, the goal's right here. I believe in you. You can do this. Come on. Oh, the ball got stolen. Oh, let's go. Like you hear me? Like, make the application, I'm being silly, but make the application, because whatever you are in, and whatever you're going through, and as hard as it is, and as confusing as it is, like a four, five, six-year-old on the soccer field, like, what? No matter what you're facing, he is with you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you. Jesus' words here are God's voice speaking to us. Jesus' deeds are God's power at work in each of us. Jesus is the channel by which God encounters human, uh, humanity. Jesus brings, if you will, God's accent, God's message, God's mind, and God's heart, not just humanity to humanity, but to me and you okay don't be troubled i will live in you and with you verse 12 very truly i tell you all who have faith in me will do the works i have been doing what's jesus been doing preaching loving serving healing raising the dead he's done some crazy things and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, Jesus was was human at this moment, fully God, fully man, but he's limited by his humanity. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, well, let's open this um, and we'll end there. Two things we need to look at here, the theology of greater things. What in the world is God talking about when he says you will do greater things and then ask me whatever you want and I'm gonna give it to you? There was a clause in there though. Ask me whatever you want in my name, in my name. Okay, let's talk about it. Um, There's a lot of Christians who pivot on this greater things idea um, and, and they use it um, I, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be like just open and honest with you. I think a lot of Christians pivot on this greater thing idea, greater things idea, and they use it to allow for unhealthy sensationalism, unhealthy emotionalism um, that generally results in unchecked um, arrogance and presumption um, on the part of the individual and in the church. Okay? Now, on the other hand, Jesus said you're going to do... Greater things. I mean it's there. I don't know how to I don't know how to fully like parse this, just truthfully. Jesus preached the gospel. Jesus encouraged people, Jesus loved on individual people, Jesus, uh, people who were disempowered and hated by people who were going to get stoned, he lifted them, he protected them, he gave to the poor, Jesus served people, I mean, his his entire, but he also healed people, he raised people from the dead, and so when we get into this, do I think that you and I as believers have an a biblical obligation to look at people who are sick, who are unwell, or who are hurting like the Ukrainians. We talked about that at the beginning. Do we have an obligation to get out and do something? If Jesus is in us. Now, be careful because you can slip back into duty, but if it's truly an overflow, if Jesus has transformed you and it's out of this delight, then all of a sudden you want to speak to the checkout person because you care about them. You hear me? Okay, so we're in this moment, this theology of, um, of supernatural things. We have an obligation, I believe, to pray for anyone who is sick. I think we do. Ask that they'd be healed. Now, are they always going to be healed? No. And I think any time the Christian church moves into this posture where we teach, everybody's going to be healed. No, they're not. That is wrong. It's wrong. Now, did God intend from the beginning that we would all live in the garden evermore? Yes, we'd be in harmony with animals and we'd be in harmony with plants and we'd be in harmony with people and there would be no war and there'd be no tears and there'd be no sickness. Was that God's original intent? yes, we are no longer there and God is actually using the difficulty and the challenges of the human experience to bring people to a surrendered posture where they can experience the delight of being in relationship with him both now and for eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that we are free of the obligation to pray for the supernatural um, encounter or changing of God, the break in of heaven into our human circumstances. I think we must pray for it. But once we pray for it, I think you have to open your hands and go, okay, Lord, bring it home quickly in my family. We have two daughters with type one diabetes. Do you think I want them to have type one diabetes? No, we still cry two out of the three times we change a diabetic site. I don't mean we like Amelia or Eve. I mean, we like me, right? They have these two sites on them and they're always these medical devices and cords and things. And it's like always there. And I go, Lord Jesus, would you take this away? But here's what I keep seeing. I keep seeing the fruit of Jesus being developed, even in our four-year-old. I see this kindness. I see this sensitivity to people in pain because she knows, she knows pain. You hear that? Am I celebrating the disease? No, but I'm watching Jesus being formed in a little four-year-old, and now a 17-year-old, and I'm going, God, I see the way you use the difficult things to shape us for our good and for your long-term glory. And then Jesus ends with this, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. um, Let me say one more thing about the prayer for healing. I think we pray for healing. I think more importantly, we say, Lord Jesus, what do you wanna do in this situation? I think you're a lot safer when you inquire of him in that way and go, Father, what do you wanna do with Amelia's type one? And you attempt to listen and hear and then be a responsive, responsible believer before him. I think that's when the power of the cross is most activated. Okay, and then Jesus in 13 and 14 says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. But, uh, this is so hard. It's like, I will do whatever you It has to be in his, go to the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in, okay, in his name. When you come to him and you go, Lord Jesus, I think this is what you're doing. I think this is what you want to do. Um, I, I, I'm going to pray, and I believe it's in accordance with your name. There's some risk there because you're stepping out, and I think that's a healthy and an appropriate risk. Take it. Believe that it's in his name, but no, this isn't like a name it, claim it, or an eight ball Christianity where you can just, oh God, no, no, bam, no. In his name means what is in accordance with his will, his purpose in your life, in your family's life, on the earth, in Ukraine, wherever you're praying. It's like you're going, Lord, what is your will? And then how can we pray in accordance with your will and your way? Think of the man at the pool of Bethesda in this whole kind of wrestle we're in, these last two statements of Jesus in this passage. But the man at the pool of Bethesda, he was actually healed externally, but it doesn't appear that he ever had Heart transformation, it's like, what? So that's what I'm kind of wrestling with you on is it's like I believe what's more important to Jesus than you having an emotional experience or a hyped church experience or a fun time is that you actually begin to see the transformation of your human heart. And when that begins to happen, the supernatural of the kingdom, I think, is more free to then flow from within us. And we're a lot less likely as humans to take credit for it. Okay. Let me just one finally kind of crafted sentence here. I believe God resists us when we merely go for the supernatural, the sensational, or the emotional, or even the multitude, the crowd. And we short-circuit the more difficult, yet more fragile, more fruitful, um, eternal work of Jesus being formed in us. That requires a surrender and a bowing of the knee. But if you will go there, you will begin to experience the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, and the kingdom of God welling up from within inside of you and overflowing. It's where the power is. Amen? Okay. We're going to do something different today. We always close in a song. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. In fact, let's stand. It's 1127. Let's stand as a church. Prayer team, if you'll come on up here. You have a song? Come on. I don't know if we have more prayer team or not, but if we don't, we got Bob and Margaret right there. There they come. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love to talk to you or pray with you. One of these people can or I can. If you're online, put put your name in the chat, your email or something, and we will get in touch with you. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. There is an invitation here, not only not to be troubled, but to live from this place of overflow and delight. As we close in this song, let that be your heart, prayer, and cry. Amen. Let's sing.
1: Peace be still. Come this. I need you here now restore my home and I confess.
0: As you go today, may you sense the gracious hand of the Lord more powerfully on your life. May you have ears and eyes in your heart and in your mind that are more in tune towards him. May you know his love more fully, may you experience his presence more completely, may you rest in his sweet arms that would say to you today, don't be troubled. May you know his tender embrace, may you know the gentle leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And may you find his person and his presence more fully in the mundane and the painful things in the journey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Love you.
1: Journey with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox
0: Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey,
1: everyone around them benefits and gets better.